Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Kedubot, daf Kuf Aleph, page 101. So as we mentioned yesterday, we had a Mishnah that essentially is a Mishnah that we've seen uh, in Yevamos. And um, and actually, uh, much of this daf will seem very similar to Yevamos itself. And so the Gemara actually asked this as a question at the top of our daf. My Kamash Malam. Why is Shmuel? Because at the bottom of yesterday's daf, after that mission was taught, Shmuel made, um, uh, uh, you know, Shmuel basically taught, right? That Shmuel taught that somebody who uh, refuses, uh, right? The, 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 the minor girl who refuses that marriage, but continues to live with her husband, doesn't get her ketubah. And one who is divorced with a get does get her ketubah. And there's a whole discussion about uh, this opinion. And the Gemara basically says, okay, why are we learning this? Why are we learning any of this? Because this is all something we learned before. Tinanakuru, right? We learned all of it, okay? And where did we learn this? All it's in Yavamos Kuf Chet, Amud Aleph. And so they uh, quote here Yavamos, Hamima Enet Beish, Humutar Bekirovotaha. Right. If somebody refuses, right, the girl who refuses, she basically says she doesn't want to marry that man. So they never really were married. He's permitted to her relatives and she's permitted to his relatives um, because it's not a divorce situation. It's just that she refused the marriage. Um, and also she is not pasul from the kunats. Consider that she was never married. Natan la get. But if he gives her a bill of divorce, who has served um, but if she, uh, but if he gets, if, if she gets a bill of divorce, then she's considered a divorced person. And then they are each a sword to each other, to their relatives um, and pasul from the, from the kihuna. So the Gemara answers the reason why uh, Shmuel, or the reason why you know needed to mention this case about the bill of divorce is because she is still required to wait three months before remarrying, and that's not a halacha that we learned in the Mishnah. So we have this Mishnah that sounds very Yavamosi. Then the Gemara gets into this whole discussion that Shmuel has, right? And then the Gemara basically says, well, why is Shmuel making all these comments here? Because all of this was in Yavamos. But the point here is that this Mishnah in our Masachat, right, didn't actually uh, teach the issue about having to wait three months. And so therefore, Shmuel needs to mention the difference between somebody who refuses to continue uh, living with her husband and who and someone who gets divorced. And so he goes through a bunch of differences with those cases. That's all on the bottom of, of Kuf. But the point here is that the Gemara sort of picks up on that this seems to be a little bit of an oddly placed uh, Mishnah. And then sort of what is really a discussion uh, that, again, really looks like it should have been, this could have been a, a dap out of Yavamos, but it somehow appears in Kitubot. So uh, the next discussion that the Gemara goes to is Lima Kitanai, right, that maybe we see the same dispute with Rav and Shmuel is similar to a dispute of the Tanayim, uh, and they quote a Breitza, uh, of it's, that talks about a difference of opinion between Rabbi Eliezer 
and uh, Rabbi Yoshua, and that's kind of what the continuation, uh, a lot of what the staff uh, wants to talk about is also the case of, um, it, it, you know, some of these, these cases of these particular uh, types of marriage scenarios. So it's a little bit of an interesting Mishnah. Uh, the Gemara recognizes that it's sort of not in its right place. I think also it's a kind of a, a daf that shows us how good Eun can be, right? Where you're going to delve in because some of the daf says, right, if, you know, in some ways the Ilonit is like a regular wife and in some ways she's not. In some ways the Almana, the widow, is like a regular wife and in some ways she's not. And exactly that kind of like, let's compare, let's contrast, let's make charts over, you know, exactly where the comparisons line up and the different opinions over where they line up and where they don't line up, right? So it's not it's not so conducive. I don't find it so conducive for going through the daf and then like committing all of that to memory. I, I'm not likely to succeed. But I think if we were to sit and really delve into each of these cases, I don't know. If, I don't know who, if you want to, but if you want, but if you do want to, I think there's a lot of meat there. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. This isn't a good daf yomi daf. It's kind <laughs> of the way I would say this. There's a lot of meat on this daf. We are not doing it justice at all. And then lastly, on that same vein, I would say that the, the parak here ends with delving deep into this case of what happens if the husband knows that he's marrying an Ilonit, right? A woman who does not have these simane bagrut, the signs of puberty, the, the sexual um, maturation, and the idea that, well, in that case, you know, so, you know, it, there's no there's no false pretense right he knows what he's getting he knows who he's getting i should say right and then and then the question of what does that mean right what does that mean when if they then get divorced but she was an island but he knew right and so again it becomes like a a good thumbs to delve into all the particulars here instead i'm going to go on to the new mishnah on the daf which is actually the new parak on the daf we are up to parak 12 the the 12th parak of Ketubot, as you said, Jordana, we're chugging through. Um, this mission is a little bit long also, so let's see if we can do it rapidly. And then, of course, the Gemara on this Mishnah only comes on Kufbet, on tomorrow's daf, because the structure of these daf and have the Mishnah on the bottom at the end of the daf, which is, I think, a little bit disorienting, but so be it. So so a man marries a woman and she has um, a condition, right? She stipulates that he's going to provide for her daughter, meaning she's coming into the marriage with a with having already had a daughter with somebody else. Um, and this new husband is going to provide for the daughter for five years. Then he has to do so. He has to provide for that daughter for five years. Now, what happens if during those five years they get divorced and she marries yet another man? And with the new man, she says, you know, provide for my daughter for five years. So then he is also obligated to provide for the daughter for five years. And the implication is that the, the daughter is now being provided for twice, at least for some of these, some of those years. It's... Um, I'm sorry. And the first husband, which really is the second husband, right? Meaning the daughter has already been born. The first husband of the Mishnah, who's the second husband of the wife, cannot say, oh, well, she comes to my house, then I'll provide for her, but not when she's over there with you, right? He has to bring the sustenance. He has to bring the food 
to her, to wherever the mom now lives, they've gotten divorced, but the man has committed to provide for the daughter. I find this to be a fascinating, fascinating stipulation that, you know, the couple can get divorced and the man is still obligated to provide for the child. Nisait, now what happens if the daughter gets married during this, these five years? So then her husband is supposed to provide her with mizonot and the same way that any husband is supposed to provide for any wife. And then the, the mother's husbands who have already committed to providing for her they are supposed to provide her with instead, not the mizonot itself, but the deme mizonot, the monetary value. Meaning, even though she's gotten married, they're not off the hook. They committed to five years, they need, or whatever the number of years is, right? They need to pay. Metu. Now, what happens if they die? Meaning, both husband number, I guess, two, right? And husband number three, they die. Benotehen nizonit menechasim chorin. So what happens? The daughters, now if they have, the husband dies and they have children, they have daughters, their daughters are going to get their sustenance from property, from the unsold property. But the wife's daughter who, you know, was came into the marriage with this stipulation and they agreed to provide for her, she is provided for even from property that has a lien on it. Meaning their own children, new children, right, would not get Mizonot except for let's call it free property, meaning something that does not, is not Mishuabad, it does not have a lien on it but the daughter even could go and repossess, right? She could repossess whatever, um, wherever they've contracted their property out. Because her status is like a creditor and so therefore like this, uh, this contractual agreement from the time of marriage puts him in a status of an like somebody who has a chov, an obligation, a debt to fulfill by providing for her. Some of this, I think, is not so fair, meaning once she gets, grows up and gets married and has her own husband to provide for her, it's strange that the, the mother's husbands would continue to be obligated to provide for her. I understand the math of it, but it's it's still a little strange. I think, I, you know, I, I'm actually not so surprised. I, I, I think you know, two comments. One is this kind of is a missing Mishnah because the Ketubot is so focused on the woman and what she's entitled to through marriage. But, you know, remember, I think there was a lot of remarriage in these days in the sense of people died. You know, there wasn't a life expectancy that we have. And, you know, we, th- we've never really talked about the children. We've talked about the property women bring in, what happens, you know, if a woman finds something or, you know, her property makes money. All of those things have been discussed. I think this kind of a continuation of the whole concept of Ketubot, that children, but particularly the daughters, were a very vulnerable population. And so the Mishnah really goes, the Halakha really goes out of its way to basically say, this is not, if you take this on, you cannot get out, get out of this. This is a super I, tell vulnerable you- group, and they will be provided for. I'll tell you, as you're talking, you're, you've provoked me to think of something else, which is that, you know, these same husbands might rush to marry off those daughters if it would mean that they would get out of paying. So it might be that they have to continue paying anyway, even if she gets married, to prevent them from, you know, selling her off to the highest bidder of her marriage to get themselves out of the the obligation. Meaning they can't get out of the obligation, so don't bother with that. 
Right. And, just an and, idea. and even the idea that like they would try to like get together the two men and be like, oh, we'll provide, but we'll do it together. The Gemara is like, the Mishnah, excuse me, is like, no, no, no. You each did this as your own individual obligation. And that's right. the point. It's fulfilling your obligation. It's not even so much about the technical piece of her getting her sustenance. Right. So let me finish the mission here. The the sharp ones, the wise ones. It doesn't mean sharp. It mean it doesn't mean wise. It means sharp. Like somebody who who really sees the ins and outs of of the wording of the contract, right? They would say, I will provide for your daughter for five years, as long as, meaning on condition that you, the wife, are with me. Meaning if you, the wife, if we get divorced, if the wife dies, whatever, then they're no longer under that same contractual obligation. They could put that into the into the document, into the contract, if they are smart enough to think of it, right? The Mishnah presents it as that is acceptable. But if they haven't said it, then too bad for them. Then it's five years, and that's, the, that's what they're obligated for. Well, uh, what do you think of that end piece? Like, well, I don't understand what the wise thing means. Oh, I think it's telling us that it doesn't it doesn't mean that it was hard and fast that you had to commit yourself to five years to so- provide for somebody else's child, you know, even even in the end of that you get divorced. Right. It's not a life. It's not a five year automatic sentence. So it, right. It just seems odd to me because it's sort of like this last clause sort of reneges the whole thing that the mission is trying to say or the only to do. Only if you have a really good lawyer to write your contract or if you yourself right. think of it, meaning if you don't give yourself a loophole to get out of it, then you're on the hook and you better provide for her. But if you think of it, then, you know, if, if nothing else, that's a, that pushes the marriage. Right. You know, hello, mom, stay married to this man while you need to provide for your daughter. I, I guess what I can't tell, because I'm not as familiar with this term of, you know, pikachim. Is the Mishnah endorsing it or is the Mishnah just giving a suggestion? Like, what's the Mishnah's view on this? Like, is there a value to, like, is the Mishnah giving a value to this choice or to this clause? I can't tell. Um, I don't think so. I think it's descriptive. Meaning, I think that, you know, if you're going to be clever about it, you'll make sure that this is your caveat. I don't think that it's a recommendation and I don't think that there's anything negative, at least in the Mishnah, meaning we, we haven't gotten to the next daf yet, which will, you know, eventually the Gemara is going to delve into all of this. And of course, commentary. And I don't know to what extent we're going to really talk about this, but I'm just saying that the way the Mishnah itself presents it, I think it's simply straight halacha. Like if you've thought of it, that clause will work. And if you don't think of it, you don't get to make you don't get to pretend that you did. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Time at Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.